No matter what anyone tells you, nothing is perfect the first time. And you can't tell what's wrong with it by yourself. You have to have someone outside the glass house to throw stones at you. You're listening to Quoted, the Question of the Day podcast. I am Rebecca Smith. This is where we start with a question and see where the conversation goes. For the same reason a pitcher can't win a baseball game. We are at the Minnesota Twin Cities Book Festival. Twin Cities Book Festival. Hello, testing, one, two, three. We're going to go to a book fair, which is held at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. Which Gone by Rain Taxi. You were hoping maybe to talk to some people and see if you couldn't raise a couple of questions to put together a podcast episode. Anything you create has to have an audience, and you need to start with an audience of one, and that's your editor. Not a single thing I've written that hasn't been improved by getting edited. Ashley and I work at 826 MSP, which is a youth writing center in South Minneapolis. We are a youth writing center that does five programs in school and out of school, all of which are free writing, tutoring, and publishing programs for students K through 12. Kristen, I volunteer at the after school writing program. It's just a drop-in program where kids can come in with their homework and we help with the homework and then do writing exercise with them and read with them. So it's just a fun space. Our mission is to help students think creatively, write effectively, and succeed academically. And we really feel like writing is a key that really affects so many other areas of students' lives um, as they go through school and just learn to develop their own voices as people. My name is Carla. Janet. I'm a member of the Professional Editors Network of the Twin Cities. We're a small local organization and we have meetings about different editorial topics that are of interest to our members. It's a very solitary profession and it is good to get together with people, other people who are doing similar work. We make good writing better. I think it's a very symbiotic relationship between the author and the editor, bringing out the best in the author Helping the author find his or her own voice, not imposing my voice on the author. Coming to a comfort with uh, yourself on the page. So anytime you feel like words are just coming out as they should, I think that's what it means to find your voice. But it takes a lot of work, I think, and a lot of encouragement to, to feel comfortable with that. I think I was more conscious of the fact that I liked being creative before I liked to, to write. But writing is the earliest, most consistent, and I'd say most developed of my creative skills that I have. Uh, expanding the definition of what I consider to be myself um, and what I'm capable of doing. At A26MSP, we believe that the students we work with are already writers. They already have the tools they need to be successful. It just takes becoming more comfortable and feeling um, like you're surrounded in a community that wants to hear what you have to say and is encouraging. So trying to turn writing to something that's familiar and accessible as opposed to something that makes you nervous or something that's scary. So we really have It'll certainly be interesting to see where this, this mode of communication takes me. Being able to listen. 
Hey, is the microphone connected to this thing, Al? Um, I'm leaving a message, but how do you know if um, it's working or not? I don't know. I guess I can see little uh, needle movements. And I like your microphone fancy. Very cool. Let's see if it works when I release the button. Looks pretty, uh, pretty awesome here. So where have you got the microphone hidden? Well, if it is working, it's Saturday about, mm, I think, 530. Uh, it's pretty nice out here. Uh, sunny. Um, and we're having fun. I don't know why we said we because it's only me. I really like the idea of just leaving a message here and being able to talk about your wonderful sculptures. I'm a sculptor also, and I enjoy like walking by your window and have for several years, so thank you. Well, oh well. Talk to you later. This is a really stupid message, but okay, bye. Back in February, we were here and we thought you were a figment of our imagination. So we came back to see if you were, and you're not. Thank you very much. I keep hearing voices. I keep, I keep saying voices. I don't know if discipline's what you need to become a writer. I think it's more of, you just have to cultivate that enjoyment or, I don't know, for some people it comes easier than others, but I don't know how much discipline has to do with the urge to write. For me, a writing day, you wouldn't really know what to look at it because it's a lot of daydreaming. I have an idea for a scene or something that I'd like to see and then I just kind of iterate that in my head and I play out the scene in my head over and over again until I can't stand not to write it down. And then I write it down. This, this kind of bleeds into a, a wholly separate topic, but I think uh, you see the, the, the corporate, the, the capitalist approach currently to uh, commodifying creative skills. Uh, usually you're working in a firm, um, you're doing advertising work, uh, marketing work, stuff that's not always interesting or maybe not even stuff that you consider to be particularly important, but they are paying you money for a service and they expect for you to do your best work. I think asking people to do their best work for things that don't inspire them, uh, you know, for some people, they're okay with it. They're like, yep, that's that money is, you know, taking up that cost of me dying inside to do that. But I think a lot of people would prefer to just kind of work on their own stuff. I guess you can't hear me now, but I can talk all the same. Is anyone in there? Do I work for the advertising agencies that I work for? I'm just wondering, what is art? What I see is an expression of other people's fears, which, though, that does point that out it's finally just an expression of that fear and to get to something beautiful we have to look inside and just create something beautiful am i working for satan i don't know i'm glad you have this communication let me know how many responses you're getting i bet you're getting zillions and zillions i drive by here all the time and I can't figure out what the heck this is all about. It's terribly exciting and I'm deeply appreciative of the chance to respond. I left you a message already, but we need an electrician for Junjun Jam, so we should talk to you. I know exactly when the inspiration came. I was exercising, and I do most of my plot writing while I'm exercising. I'm writing a story or planning something out, I'll try to put together 
connecting the dots, what are the bones that this story has to have so it works functionally. And then I came up with cool set pieces and neat ways to kind of move the story forward. There were news stories about the fact that healthcare was just getting so expensive. Nobody wants to talk about it, but somebody is gonna to have to decide who lives and who dies. At the time I was working in biotech and we were making a human protein that had just been given to a guy who was dying. It cost $7.1 million and he died anyway. Isn't somebody gonna come up with a way to either reduce drug costs, which would be the best thing, or figure out a way to ration it? We do it now by having poor access to health care for a lot of people that don't really have insurance. So the next thing that'll happen is we'll have some form of universal health care. And then what are we going to do? $7.1 million and the guy died anyway. Can't do that. What are we going to do? Um, I think Terry Pratchett once said that the first draft of the story is the author telling the story to themselves. So I tell myself the story, and then I tell it to my editor, and he says, you don't need this, get rid of that. I don't get this, rewrite this. And we go back and forth a lot, and we figure out what the audience needs to know to make the story make sense. I like a very loose definition of the word editor. A lot of my friends play an editor role of sorts where they review the text early and just tell me what they would expect as readers. And it's like, well, based on the cover and the title, I expected a little more of this. What really is true about the story and true about the person. And anybody who enjoys books and is willing to give feedback can be a good editor or at least be useful to a writer, especially in that early stage of developing the manuscript and polishing it into a really great book that people actually want to buy. So if you know what you like in a book, you can be a good editor. The organization is called the Minneapolis Writers Guild. We are a critique group we meet once a week, and most people are writing either short stories or long fiction. We spend two hours going through the top end of critique. Always anxiety-inducing, but never as bad as you think it's going to be, and often much more uh, rewarding and kind of invigorating than you'd expect it to be. People who have not been in a critique group do not know what they're missing. Different writers, all with different perspectives, when they read your work, every one of them has something different. They find something different. They like something different they don't like. And from this, you realize things that you don't see because you can't see your own mistakes. You can't see your own shortcomings, but other people see them. And so the result of this is the books are so much better after people with different perspectives have read them and critiqued them. And the same goes for editing the images so I'll I'll show Tom progress midway and he'll come back with you know hey this isn't reading as well or maybe this needs to be a different color and then I can enact those changes and make it an even stronger image than it was to begin with so by getting feedback from a, a, a varied group of people like we have in the guild you end up just with a pretty safe cross-section of feedback that you can choose to use or utterly ignore. I ignore about half the stuff that I get, you know? It's ultimately the author's work and the author's responsibility, and, um, and they are free to disagree with my edits. So it's a kind of give and take on that. You, you really want to feel comfortable with the person you're working with. Uh, if the issue is brought up once, I will write it down and consider it when I'm alone in my, in my house with my cats 
and I can just read what's on the page and try to see what they're talking about and remember the comment, the, an extra context they gave me in group, usually I can see what they're saying at that point and make the fix that I need to it. But if you get a point of critique that is recurring, if you hear it more than twice, uh, it must go. I wish you would uh, seriously consider setting up a couple of tables in there and a grill and making this into one of those trendy hamburger joints. You never say something that you don't think is going to be helpful. I say, I love coming down to see your store every time in downtown. I have to stop by and see what's happening at the House of Balls. It's really my favorite place to come and visit. That ladder's just kind of sitting there. You got to involve it with everything else, baby. Even though he is a phallic type symbol, he's quite, quite nice. So the point is, a lot of this stuff is completely, um, you know, artsy. Like especially the bowling pin upside down. The uh, the penis symbol is a little overdone. Uh, not only in modern art but even in historic stuff, maybe you should think about that. I wish I could live here. It seems so cozy and crazy, just the way we like it. I bet you watch Twin Peaks, don't you? Uh, this is the first time I've seen your work, and it's quite, it's quite interesting. It's very diverse. You waste our time. And, uh, and it really speaks a lot for uh, finding you know, finding and creating art from found objects. Just wondering if you sell lottery tickets here or not. Do you bowl with the Deviant Bowlers? You, you only have one shoe on the wall. Um, you're missing a shoe. It's 8 o'clock Saturday. I can't figure it out. Open at midnight? Are you a rock and roll club? Give me a call at 621 Virginia's. So next time I come by, I'll know. It's really striking. It's very creative and imaginative. I really enjoy looking at it. I think your stuff's really cool. Um, I wish you'd be here sometime so we could come in and take a look at the stuff. Um, my schedule's awful busy, so... Seems to be derivative of Giacometti. Alberto Giacometti. Hey, get a life. The government is watching you, so whatever you're trying to get away with, you can just forget about it. If you have a dick like that statue in the middle, I want to meet you, okay? If you don't think it's going to be helpful, then why the hell are you saying it? That's the fundamental rule. Sometimes there's something specific because you have a suspicion that this isn't going to fly in a certain way, but, but usually it's a surprise. Usually it's, a, it's something that, that, for me anyway, it's something I haven't thought of, where they say, this doesn't seem like this character. We know this character from previous chapters, and here, this isn't how this character acts. If I have a scene of dialogue where two characters are talking, I do kind of just let it write itself. I put the characters in the room, and this person says the thing that starts the scene, and then I see what people say. It's 2 a.m., I'm standing here totally naked. And a lot of times I'll discover things that I didn't know about the characters by what they happen to say. How are you? Studio. Would a guy pull over at 2 a.m. every day to leave a message for somebody he doesn't even know? The eggs, same genre and that I work with. Bacon. It's got the same kinds of things that I like. With the coffee. Got a lot of sticks and antlers and skulls in my studio, too. Bismarck Dash. Well, I've got hides. He likes stones, doesn't he? Yeah. And birds. Uh, eggs scrambled and bacon burnt. I like his stuff. What is that? With whole wheat toast. 
burnt also. It's fun going looking in here. And the coffee black. Don't forget the cream. Balls are lit up tonight. I see. I was here the other night. I like the shadows too. It reminds me of stuff I'm into. Pop along and oak. And set a birch over there. And I'm kind of envious of artists who are so uh, creative. Some of the bones I found, he'd like. As people like you. I've been using some bones and sticks. I tend to find an artistic side in myself too. Pop along. But it's hard to bring it out, especially when I look at work that you have created here. Really, pulling ball heads is enlightening. Pretty interesting. I like this. To an average layperson like myself, wood carvings are very well done. You don't need a mentor. You must become one. Yeah, my girlfriend likes the one with the penis. I Nice stuff. Keep up the good Thanks, work. Keep, up, keep up, the up the good wonderful work. work. I'm going to direct you around to that corner. There's guys that are doing that's called the Endless Stories podcast. I figure you'd probably like to talk to them. Okay. So, oh, hello, ma'am. Hi there. <laughs> oh, Margo. <laughs> Oh my gosh! What are you doing? We're over here doing some recordings. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we're just walking around. What are you doing here? I have a beautiful chapbook called The Heartbeat of Wings. This is um, Redbird Chapbooks. I couldn't be more pleased. Oh my. Isn't beautiful. That gorgeous? It is gorgeous. It's, a, it's an image of water. Um, that is infused with very, you know, with this intense blue dye. But the water is shadowed, of course, so it's like water going over rocks. So a chapbook is um, poetry specific and it's a little bit shorter. And in this case, it gives students an opportunity to be published alongside their peers, their siblings, their cousins. And then we have a chapbook release party every year where students actually read from their, read from the poetry that they've written. I'm always surprised by how open kids are and just how expressive uh, they are if you just open up the space for them to be that way. Also, how emotionally intelligent kids are. Like, I, I work with this one kid who, um, she wrote this essay on happiness and it was really about uh, creating personal boundaries and <laughs> loving people, but also knowing that it begins with loving yourself and I was like, Oh, wow. I'm always surprised by just the, the maturity of like the voices that I see on, on the page. So we think it makes a big difference for students to actually be published. It's not just a notebook paper that goes on a fridge. It's an actual book that they've contributed to. It really helps them understand their own, their own potential. I am uh, finishing up one now that I will be looking for an agent for in the next six months or so. This is self-published. A uh, mystery set in Somalia. Fatal score. And every book is a mystery. If there wasn't something the reader wanted to know that they didn't know, they wouldn't read it. It takes place 
just a few years from now so that the world is pretty much the same as we know it, except we've had Cyber War One, And the response of the government has been to develop a massive firewall behind which everything is protected. Uh, a cyber war to me looks like uh, uh, the dam is opened, uh, the electric grid craps out, the gas line uh, loses control and there's a terrible fire, and so on and so on and so on. All the infrastructure that we have that's now controlled mostly by various computer instructions is in some way or another hackable. It hasn't happened yet, but we know that the Russians are into our power grid. Uh, and somebody's going to throw a switch at some point just because they're pissed off. And at some point or another, the government's going to figure out, good Lord, we've got to protect some of this stuff. And the best way to do it probably is write a massive firewall. The gist of the story is, is health care has gotten so expensive that we now have a health score. If you get cancer, how likely is it going to help you to have all of the services that are necessary to cure it. And if it's not very likely, we don't give them to you because we can't afford it. So it'll be possible to do what's in this book pretty soon. It may not be a very good idea, but after all, it's a single statistic. Wouldn't the government love it? Because that would absolve them, well, you know, you've got a 49. Sorry, there's nothing we can do, which is what happens in this book. So people are manipulating those numbers, and the rest of the story is a sort of an everyman, ordinary guy who discovers this and gets on the run, uh, trying to not be killed by the bad guys. So third book is about the power grid, and it's out at what we call beta read. Uh, and I'm starting on number four, but number one I finally just I put out because I was unable to get representation. So I will continue to try to get representation because that's what we would all like. It's just extremely unlikely. You obviously are going to need to do more of your own marketing if you do it that way because you're not going to have a publisher doing that for you. Especially with self-published authors sometimes they have a sort of a dirty feeling about selling and about marketing because it's a lot of bragging or promoting your own work. And that can be a difficult barrier for a lot of people to overcome. Any salesperson in any industry is given that uh, used car salesman stigma, right? And so nobody wants to be bothered by a salesperson anyways. In fact, the phrase just looking is probably the most annoying thing you can hear as a salesperson because everyone is just looking. As a customer, I mean, I think just looking is, is a fine answer. If you have a good sales associate, again, they're going to let you just look after you've said that. But you may follow it up with, a, um, I'll come to you once I, once I have my questions lined up or, or whatever. Uh, you'll probably get a lot better help because they won't go into instant negative mode. If I start sensing that a person's ready to maybe talk with their spouse in private, I'll say, hey guys, you know, I'm done mouth breathing, <laughs> you know, around you. What I'd like to do is walk away if I've answered all of your questions. I know it kind of gets weird, you know, you guys have never been in here before, so I'll just be right over there if you guys need me and then I'll walk away. 
A good sales associate will actually know their customers' names and can cycle through their sales and say, oh, I saw Brian and Becky came back, right? Um, oh, you rang it up for yourself. Can I ask you why? Did you help them for an extended period of time or whatever? But also, if you're a good sales associate, you're going to follow up with the customers and ask them. And, you know, you know, your sales associate might have called you and said, hey, Brian, you know, this is Joe. And I just wanted to see if you had any more questions. And maybe Brian says, uh, I came back and talked to Susan and told her that you should get the credit. And then Joe goes and looks and finds out that Susan has the sale because Susan makes money the same way. And it was easy for her just to ring it up for herself, you know. So generally, managers will stay out of the middle of those battles because there's two sides to every story. So I think in my experience of uh, selling and teaching people how to sell, that uh, companies make a fatal mistake of telling people that there's a certain way that you need to sell and it's very structured. And uh, if you were in the industry, you'd realize that that works for some people and it doesn't work for other people. You have to allow people to sell themselves and sell their personalities and then follow the structure. Okay, so I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But for example, I'm a soft closer, which means I basically sell my personality and a personal buy for me because they like who I am as a person and they trust the information that I gave them. Other people are what we call hard closers, right? Where they ask people to buy right then and there even if the person's not prepared. And so I was dealing with a customer for... Um, several months and I kept soft closing them and they were asking very technical questions about the product that I was selling and I just couldn't get him to buy so I asked my boss for some helpful advice and he said hard close them, get him to buy right then and there. I've answered all your questions, what am I missing? Do you not like the color of my shirt? Is blue not your color? Should I go change to purple? I have it in stock, what day works best for you for delivery? Those are hard closes. So I asked the customer, um, what's it going to take to get you to do this deal right now? Because I think we've answered all of your questions. I never saw that person again. Uh, he could tell that I was uncomfortable asking the question. I, I think anybody could. I'm not that person. And so I think it's just important to know who you are and more importantly, to know who your customer is. We call it features tell and benefits sell and get the customer to agree with you. Your vacuum has more sucking power than any other vacuum. But what does that mean to you? Maybe not a whole lot. So you'd have to tell the customer what the benefit of that is. Maybe it gets more soot or whatever it is in your carpet out, right? Pet dander. And that's the benefit. But then you would follow that up with, does that make sense? You tell the feature, you tell the benefit, and then you ask them, does that make sense? I got hired on at Circuit City a long time ago, and I was deadly afraid when they told me they were going to put me in sales. I wanted to work in the warehouse, but the manager saw something in, in me. I was a very nervous, shy kid, and uh, the first person I helped was with a uh, boombox when they existed, and we were supposed to sell extended warranties, and I can't remember exactly how it went, but I gave them the company way of, of selling this extended warranty, and the person bought it, and I gained confidence in that sale, and from then on, I was like, oh. That's, it's simple, you know, but there was a luxury. The kid was my age. We talked about music. We related, you know, throughout the sale. And I said, hey, man, I think this is a really good idea for you to get this in case you blow one of those speakers. Because if you're anything like me, you're going to crank this sucker up, you know. And so it was pretty easy. And then I realized it, this is just a gift of gab game. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds bad, but this is really just a, how can I talk to you so you like me, right? And just as long as I give you accurate information, we're going to be good. It's all about the relationship that you can build relating to the customer. Certain people have that skill and certain people don't. One new message and 24 old messages. 
Hi, Becky. It's Margot. We, meaning Fran and I, are wondering if you and Brian would like to come and have dinner with us tomorrow around 6.30 before the jazz thing. We'd really love to see you. It sounds really fun. So just let us know. 6.30, our house, tomorrow, Friday. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Yeah, hi, Rebecca. Tom here. Uh, returning your call. Uh, give me a call. Message deleted. Hi, I have a message for Brian Harmon. Brian, I don't know if this name means anything to you. I'm Johanna Prindeville. I live in Bozeman, Montana. I used to be known as Joan Scanlon, and my best friend was Fran Cusick. The last time we talked, you had sent me letters that Fran had saved, and those letters became the basis for a story which morphed into a memoir that was published last year, 2014. The whole thing is based on those letters, really, that you sent me, for which I am very grateful. And I would like to send you a copy of the book. Unrepentant. The address I have for you By is... By Johanna Prindeville, page four. This is a story from my mother, Fran Yakusik, that, that was written in a letter years ago. Geez, Joni, talk about a bad day. First, the septic tank gets screwed up, so I call our number one man in the number two business to come fix it. They say they'll be out shortly. Well, you never know what that means. So I threw in a load of diapers, figured I'd do a load while I'm waiting. Then the baby starts to cry. So I check the time. Feeding time. Poor little thing. I almost forgot about him. And here I am rushing around like crazy. I must have put too much detergent in the washer. By the time I get the baby changed, a washer is spewing suds out the top, down the side, all over the floor. Brian's wailing. That's when the doorbell rings so I go to see who it is now mind you my hair's not even combed yet I'm still in my bathrobe and what do you suppose I see our number one man fresh as a daisy in what looks like a brand new uniform clean as a whistle and he just happens to be my old boyfriend from high school oh my god I could have died here I am with the baby in one arm and trying to hold the top of my old pink chenille robe over my bloated boobs with the other and I can feel the knot on the belt starting to slip and I don't have a hand left to do anything about it talk about embarrassing Oh, hi, Fran, he says. Didn't know you at first. Got trouble with the septic? Well, yeah. If there was a hole in the ground, I'd have crawled in. And I hope you like what you see. And if your sister and or your brother would like a copy, I'll be happy to send them to. Brian, I hope you are well and happy. Hi, Rebecca. Tom here. And uh, your I uh, want to talk to you about your roof there. Uh... Message deleted. Hi, Becky. This is Amy. Um, I'm way late saying thank you, but thank you very much for the book. Um, I'll try calling you back on your... Know that it's content, know what type of people might want it, and how to get it in front of their eyeballs is also an important part of the work. Just writing a good book will absolutely not sell itself. That, that myth is a unicorn that is long gone. You have to write a good book and tell people about it. We had an author here earlier today, Bethany Atazadeh, I'm probably not saying that right, A-T-A-Z-A-D-E-H, who actually had written a book on how to sell your own book. She had learned a lot from trying to sell her own self-published books. I... 
I almost didn't do indie publishing um, because I read this stat and I don't know where it was. It was like three years ago now, but I read this uh, online that said average indie authors sell between 90 to 100 books ever. When I found that out, um, I told myself and my husband and my family that um, I wasn't gonna pursue indie publishing unless I could sell at least 100 books before my release date. And so I did that. I sold over 100 books before my release date and Mandy also sold 100 books plus on her release day. The reason that we sold that many is marketing. 100%. Good marketing is just talking about your book, getting the word out there and then helping other people to get the word out there. Our heart is to show you that marketing is not that hard, to show you that it is okay to fail at it and to show you how we failed and what we learned from it. You have the opportunity as an indie author to do really well. And so whether you choose to buy our marketing books or not, I don't care. I just want you to know that you can figure out marketing. It is not that hard and it will help your book so, so, so much. That is our heart behind why we wrote Marketing for Authors. Where'd you get so many balls? <laughs> Bowling balls, it is. Yes. And how do you do it? Before well, we wait for your answer. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Listen, this is one of the best galleries in the whole damn city, right here. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Let's see, I'm going to say something like, uh, you know, people leave all these weird messages and stuff. Okay. So you're supposed to answer the question is what happens yeah. in your dreams? Here's your reply. You have to say. I have lovely flying dreams. What have you found under your fingernails? I got to be more. Yeah. Oh, there's a kitty right there. See, I told you. Cat dung. Hi, kitty. They always come up at the door. Hi, little kitty. When was the last time? You stopped and seriously considered the impact of pygmy goats and their leaping ability. God, good question. Do I know when I'm done? Do you believe in unconditional love? Divorce or death, which feels better? You're stuck. Just a feeling you have. Uh, I'm going through a divorce. Setting boundaries too, just knowing when you need to stop. I'd like to record my response. My name is Allison Burns. To the question, would you prefer answers instead? No. Well, I'm a pagan and I'm welcome because I have 11 months and 26 days before the end of this year and I become uh, international and national entertainment star of television and radio artists before the millennium year 2000. If Thank you me. are growing, then you are successful. Death is final. All right, let's just be honest. We all want to be New York Times bestselling authors and I don't know. What do I give back to the world? Fertilizer. Death feels better than divorce because with death, you don't have to think you don't have no worries, your senses, your five senses. They feel like they're trapped or something, you know? My mom Maybe. was totally trapped. My mom still is trapped. The only reason my parents never got divorced was because my mom wanted to. But she can just start over and stuff. Divorce always lives with you. Because with divorce, it's there and it's always liable. Your question is scaring me, so I can't answer it. You are speaking to your fellow citizens, so ask thought-provoking questions and observations about your... with the Star Tribune. I'd like to talk to you about your studio sometime. I'm at 673-1727. How do I know when it's finished? I don't know if there's one answer for that.
I know it's finished when it's time to open up my door and put it on display. I haven't really analyzed that. So I, I don't know if I have a really good answer. For instance, I have one here that I just drew one line on it. Great. It's weird to say that art can tell you that it's done, but it told me it was done, so I didn't do anything more with it. Art speaks for itself. Since I work in clay, I suppose the best way to assume that I'm done is that it has not collapsed. So I want to make sure that my walls are still straight <laughs> and everything is sturdy. But uh, yeah, I would say it's just a feeling. You just know. That sounds a little pretentious, but um, I just, I guess I just feel that it's done. It looks um, symmetrical and the colors are good. And um, I've said what I want to say with the piece. And then you just know. You know it's finished. It's, it's made its statement. Your piece. It's a little easier with my work as I black print and sew bags. I know when I'm done when the bag has all the necessary details and the patterns match up as well as I possibly can. Um, so with the bags, I think that that's a little bit of an easier question to answer. But my son, it's kind of funny, I'll tell you a little story about him. When he's doing these large canvas paintings with the acrylic, he usually does 30 minute segments at a time and then then like a dry time and then the next day or so he'll come back and do another layer and he's two and a half and then it just one day I don't know he'll stand up and he'll be like done it's done and I have no idea how he knows that the painting is done I don't know and he doesn't have enough words to answer the question unfortunately well I've been doing it since I was four and so I think it's practice of uh, just doing pieces over and over again and and getting that feeling. And I think when I was, you know, I, I started when I was four and I got that f feeling. Um, and I just kind of go back to how that felt when I was four. Yes, the smallest ones have the right answers a lot of time when it comes to art, for sure. Basically, if you're doing abstract art, you never think it's done, but you have to come to a place where you're happy with what you're doing and say, I can move on to something else. But in most of the abstract uh, work that I've done, I've always thought it just needed a little bit of something else. For me, I'm just never done with my workers. There's always something to tweak, something to add, something to subtract. Except if I have to get this out by specific time frame. If not, I'm just going to keep, you know, like revisiting it. Like I want to do something about it or I want to. So sometimes I just snatch myself out. You know what? I'm just done with this or else I'm never going to get any sleep. When enough people have said, I don't see how it can get any better, that's when I'll usually stop practice, 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 and then, you know, you know how far to push something. When you try to push your artwork a little bit too much, often it kind of loses its, um, I guess, in a way, kind of the conceptual value of the art kind of disappears when you start it's adding too, too much and too much it gets and too, too busy. much. Let's say I have, you know, an owl on a cup I've painted. I mean, I could then make a tree behind it and a home for it and, you know, keep drawing, but sometimes less is more, just like makeup. Do I want to mess with it more or uh, do I want to leave it alone? So I do always ask that question. When I start to make mistakes and things start to fall apart and I think I better take my hands off it and let it go. It's a feeling now, but a certain, it's a certain feeling, very certain that I know it's finished.
Um, and I have maybe just grown tired of looking at whatever it is that's on the wheel in front of me. Because I get to this point where I don't like it anymore. <laughs> like I don't like a certain piece because I'm working on it and, it, and then finally it like will tell me when it's done or not. And so I have to have a few days to kind of like regurgitate what I've been doing and then come back to it. So I think it's really time. Sometimes my friends see me work, they're like, where do you get all the patience for this? I'm like, it's not something I can describe. I was born with it, because if not, I don't think I'll be able to do this. You can call it paper sculpting. You can call it, you know, paper flowers. Basically, it's kind of like a sculpture. You know, you just take, you know, a flat piece of paper and then develop something 3D out of it, like a 3D ornament. As you can see on my piece here, I leave a break in there. And this is a cultural thing. We feel that if we complete a piece, finish that line, then our creativity and our spirit can be trapped within this one piece. I suppose I feel like it's done once it's been made permanent. In a way. I take moments in time and make them forever. And I guess in, in a sense that gives me a sense of completion. It's an image. And images in a way, I guess that's kind of the end, mm -hmm. end result mm -hmm. to be seen that makes it, in a way that makes it done. The end result is being seen. Let's just be honest here. I feel very successful. And for a long time, I didn't want to talk about numbers because if I tell people um, selling 10 books per day, a lot of people are going to be like, that's nothing. For publishers too, they really need to focus their resources on some of their sort of tried and true well-known or big contract kind of authors. And so I feel like, you know, the barriers for some people are just too great to go a tr try to go a traditional publishing route. And if an author talks about their book they're going to sell more books. That's what I found anyway, personally, is that whenever I actually intentionally talk about my books and I say, you know, The Stolen Kingdom is amazing. It's an Aladdin retelling. You should go check it out because it's fairy tale fantasy. It's amazing. That right there is an example of something that would drive people to go look at my book when otherwise they wouldn't have. So the more marketing you put in, the more people are gonna go buy your book as well, obviously. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? People want to get their work out. They wanna do it in the way they want on the timeline that they want. Uh, after getting a theater degree to help with my writing, I kind of felt like I didn't wanna ha ever have to ask anybody permission in order to make a book. So that's why I wanted to start my own publishing company, and that was 10 years ago, and it's been all-consuming ever since. Tom and I actually met in 2011 when we both worked at a ragstock, and he, he was running a very early version of Six Semper Serpent back then, and um, Tom was willing to showcase our work via, uh, back then I think it was a Tumblr uh, that kind of evolved into a website that kind of evolved into a publishing company full, full out. The best way to like run and operate a business, especially a publishing company, is collaborating with people who are more talented than me. Uh, so I like finding really good writers and collecting them, finding really good illustrators and collecting them, and then creating projects out of the fiction to keep everybody busy and occupied and having fun and, and working on their creative uh, art and their expression. Uh, I'm, I'm Tom Krause. I go by Team Martin Krause at our, on our Six Semper Serpent website and on our Everlasting Stories podcast and everywhere you'll see the name Team Martin Krause. I am Nathaniel Hicklin, Jason Belden. 
I'm the author of the News from Crate series and Australia on the podcast, and the Adventures of Israel St. James in print from the same company. Israel St. James, it's our new publication. It's, it's fully illustrated. There are 32 illustrations in the book, um, including the cover. It's a, it's a big labor of love that's been in production for probably about six years now in various forms. We are very excited to have it in an actual physical book in the world. It exists. It's a series of 13 short stories. Each story does stand on its own, but they do also have a through line. So it's one big story with a singular character. And the character is somewhere in between Israel St. James and Doctor Who with kind of shades of James Bond later on. He travels around the world finding and containing magical relics and he's been kind of magically enhanced and altered so that he doesn't age so he can kind of maintain his vigil over the world. So the first story takes place in the 1860s and the final story takes place in the 1980s. So it spans a whole lot of different periods. There's some mystery, there's some haunted house, there's some detective stories and big globe trotting. There's one that's set in the years before World War II where they have to travel around the world with kind of a team locking down some stuff that's about to kick off so that it doesn't make World War II even worse than it might be. I got to say, I never even necessarily expected it to get this big. I'm glad we've been able to make some books and a podcast. The Everlasting Stories podcast. In, in retrospect, it is very obvious. It started as an extension of our creative mission, not only to have really colorful and fantastic fiction, but also for it to be affordable. Our managing editor, Michael Strand, about a year and a half ago was like, yo, we should consider a podcast. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Now we have to do it. I'm buying you a microphone. I hope you're ready to start recording stories. It's essentially a combination of a book on tape with an old pulp magazine. Every week, it's maybe a half an hour to an hour of a story being read out to you like an old serial. This is more like a drama, more like a radio play. When I was a kid, my mother was a librarian and she read to us before we went to bed. But there was this huge radio, radio um, record player complex, and there would be all kinds of amazing things on the radio. The shadow knows. <laughs> and my sister and I, you know, five, six, seven, eight, we'd be riveted. Couldn't get close enough. (laughs) Where is that, those voices coming from? We like the physical object. There's nothing like a real book. On the other hand, for somebody like me whose eyes are not as good as they used to be, listening to books on disc is heaven. The books on disc are physical in their own way. Now that the podcast is being produced, we are finding a lot more readers that way um, because, because they want to listen to it while they're up cooking dinner, cleaning their house, going to work. I think Melville is probably the most compelling American writer ever. My family always was, had a library, was very into reading, and went to the library weekly and all, from when I was little. And also, Moby Dick, I mean, but don't read it with your eyes. Listen to it. It was a big treat to get to go to a bookstore and buy a book, and you know, you would be able to do that once in a while. It has rhythms and melodies that you really, well, I think Reading it's was something that our family, you know, was always doing a lot of. That was a fun way to spend time. Listening is just so much more compelling audiobooks are huge now. I feel as though I'm taken out of myself in a way that holding a physical book doesn't do it. 
you know, don't forget if you're headed over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house or something that you should pick up a couple of audiobooks that you can all listen to together in the car. It can be a like a something you can do with people, you know, whereas most people consider reading kind of a solitary activity. We're walking on our way across the bridge because we want to find out who's behind the making of the movie The Bridge, and we've stumbled across your little shop here, and um, we haven't been here long enough to make up our minds what we think about it yet, but we so far like your um, media, <laughs> outdoor media here for us. I have in my hand, of course, your note and your replies and a pencil. I think I'll leave the pencil um, and write the reply at home and perhaps drop it off another evening, but it, from what I'm seeing here as I'm talking into the window, you have some totally cool stuff. Look at this, this I hope it's not too expensive. We'll probably be <laughs> looking around for the. I'm sure it is. Oh, oh. especially like the toilet on the wall yeah. with the head coming out of it. Oh, that's cool. You see that over there? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, my name is George, and my friend Carl is here also. And uh, perhaps we'll stop by your shop sometime. Dean knows this guy. Alan Tom Sweeney from the Star Tribune. It's on. Uh, about one o'clock on Thursday, I'm back here at the, the outside of the window, uh, seeing if anybody's coming by to leave comments. Wanted to let you know that the stuff I shot last night looks wonderful. Um, no reason to think about redoing it. Um, color looks fine, uh, contrast looks fine. Um, in fact, it was better than I hoped. So let you know that's going well, and as soon as we know when this is scheduled for the paper, I'll let you know that too. Thank you. is Minitex. We work from the University of Minnesota. The Minnesota State Legislature, I think sometime in the mid-60s, late-60s, said, University of Minnesota, you are a land-grant institution. Find a way to share your resources with the rest of the state. Now go along and develop a system for sharing books. That was the beginning of the ILL, Interlibrary Loan System. It's ebooksmn.org and you can access it there for free. There's about 10,000 books that are um, on there, and about two-thirds of them are for K-12 users, and the rest are for adults. Available for Minnesota residents. It's primarily um, Minnesota independent publishers that are represented there, such as Coffeehouse Press and some others. Um, so it's uh, local information for uh, local users. Uh, one thing that's neat about our ebooks is that an entire class can log into an ebook. Like licensure with an ebook sometimes is one one ebook per person. You can only read it one at a time. The entire class can look into an ebook, or your book club can look into an ebook, and it's free. And, and you don't even need your library card. It works off of your IP address. All you have to be is in Minnesota. A really good question that we've gotten has been, how do you become one of the publishers on the platform? There is another booth here, Minnesota Writes, Minnesota Reads, and they uh, would be the ones to go to for how to get access to getting your material on here. Sally Letterer, and I'm the communications manager for MELSA, which is the Metro Public Libraries. It's called Min Writes, Min Reads, and it's basically a way for self-published authors to get their work out to 
the public through a platform called Indie Minnesota. Anybody can go on Indie Minnesota, and that's going to all be self-published work by Minnesota authors. It's a nice spot to see your work and to be able to share your work with other people. It's just kind of read local along with the other things, eat local, you know, shop local. It's super easy to read local and read really high quality stuff because there are so many, there's, well, first of all, just so many writers in this area, but so many really great writers that I think could benefit from a larger audience and people would benefit from knowing some of the people that aren't the ones that are on the New York Times bestseller list or you know, no, not to take anything away from them. I just heard the end of um, William Kent Kruger speaking, and he is awesome. <laughs> of course, he's a local author who's had great success with, you know, traditional publishing methods. But um, that's not everybody, and there's some really fine writers that we'd like to introduce people to through this new platform. It's just uh, another way to get uh, literature out there and work out there for the public. And of course, that's what libraries are always wanting to do is make sure there's access for everybody to read whatever they would be interested in reading. And this is a way for self-published work to get out there because libraries don't purchase self-published work. They're purchasing through publishers. And so I feel like maybe if there are, you know, are more ways to just be able to get it out in front of people who are already looking on a site, like if they're looking on Indie Minnesota for self-published work, that's just one more place that you can be. really interested in your uh, work and we'd like to meet with you sometime. Thank you. Monday morning, April 29th. Four days since the Star Trib article came out. Still feeling I know the repercussions are there. How far it goes. Who knows? It could take years to, uh, to unravel the potential. Gregory, your neighbor. Congratulations. Great story in today's paper. This is Lewis from upstairs. Good to see you getting some. Somebody to notice you. Great. They're doing a show that's going to be broadcast throughout the United States, in Minnesota, especially. And the owner of uh, Christian Sculpture. I, I was high bid on the. Uh, the ball you donated to the AIDS auction. I've wanted one of your works since I first saw a black head, I believe, with a bow tie base at Intermezzo a couple years ago, but I just couldn't afford it. Um, anyway, I just want to say thanks. I want to buy your little stone guy that's on your table. Oops, I don't see him today, but you know which one it is, the one that was here when I was there. Um, call me and leave how much it costs on my answering machine. Okay? Bye. There's a little girl standing there with no clothes on made of wood. 
whoever owns this shop, if you care to sell it, please call me at 379. I'm leaving the bowling bag. I uh, hope it brings you some luck. I'm willing to pay top dollar for that. I like it a lot. Thanks. Uh, do you think you'd be interested in um, talking to the people from BBC3? More often than not, if you, you know, consume a lot of media and like have a grasp of like how structuring scenes works, you, you probably can do a pretty decent job already, you know? So by helping them learn to write better, we're helping them think more critically and develop their own voices and then contribute. To I do a lot of research when I'm um, editing a, a non-fiction piece just to ensure that the information is correct. And I think that is an important job of an editor. The use of writing as punishment is something that should be avoided. Writing can be really fun, and that's what you see when you come to A26 MSP. A love of language, really, is what got me into editing. Hold on to your, your creative impulses and, and just keep seeing where they take you. You've been listening to Quoted, the Question of the Day podcast. I am Rebecca Smith. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode. If you would like to find out more about Quoted events, where we aim to get you out of your house, away from screens, and into a room full of really great people, you can sign up for the newsletter at questionpodcast.com. The music you heard is from Kevin McCloyd. Links to all of this and more will be up on the website. Again, that's questionpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care. Mary Jane writes, if you're looking for some last minute found stories, I have an idea for you. So of course I ask her, what was the idea? And she tells me cassette tapes recorded at the door of the House of Balls. That's an art gallery. Anyway, House of Balls in the 1980s. We'll see if there's anything we can do with those tapes. Doesn't that sound like fun? Here's your brother Doug. Here, you're getting better and better. God damn, that was an excellent article on the paper about you. Glad to see you're getting rid of some of your inhibitions here and working some shit out for yourself. And doing an excellent job. Well, we're all proud of you. And uh, I love you. We'll talk to you later. Adios.